0: Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast.
1: Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Edward Bergen, consultant specializing in food and drink. I'm an all-round foodie, and I am a massive hummus fanatic, as always. So today's podcast is a contentious one. We're going to talk about the topic of how brands, more than maybe in the past, are taking a stand on various different issues. We're going to start with a few factual examples, um, and then I'm going to just talk about it a little bit. So the first one is, we've got a new GB News opinion-led channel in the UK, and a whole host of brands like Copperberg Cider have said they don't want to put their advertising on the channel. Quite recently, Unilever brand Ben & Jerry's announced ending of ice cream sales in the Palestinian territories. Gillette previously targeted toxic masculinity and changed their ad slogan to the best a man can be for a best a man can get. And Nike partnered with Colin Kaepernick, who took the knee during the US national anthem in protest to uh, racial injustice and discrimination. All different issues quite various um and we're going to talk about them and you know the topic in general and we have some great uh, experts great guests with us so i'm not going to say more about them but in that order you know sarah johnny and adia can you introduce yourselves
2: Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Jindal. I'm Associate Director of Global Beauty uh, based in the US. And uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad that I got asked Ed, to do this because I think everybody knows me by now that uh, I'm pretty honest about <laughs> a lot of these issues and we cover them quite a bit on the on the platform on the beauty side.
0: Hi, I'm Johnny Forsyth, and I work on the, the global food and drink business. And um, I'm very intrigued that you've invited me along here, Ed. I, I think it's probably because you know that I'm very contrary. Um, so, yeah, I look forward to, to the show.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Adia Baker. I am the Global Diversity Manager for Mintel, and I'm here to give the organizational perspective. kind of the general accountability view of these various
1: brands and and companies so i'm really excited to be here as well i'm so excited for this one okay we're going to start with mintel we start with consumers as always um we understand what consumers want and why we've got a lovely stat um, which is nearly two-thirds of us consumers say that they prefer to be associated with companies and or brands that align with their values so straight off the mark, so I guess the first question to all of you, you know who goes first, maybe uh, actually you know Sarah, I want to I actually think you should kick this one off. Can we talk about the consumer? do they want brands to take a stand do they do they care? Is it important
2: I mean they say they say yes, I mean obviously, from that stat you've got over sixty percent of consumers in the u s that say I want to shop for brands that align with my values, so they're coming out and they're saying that, but then. You know, as we know, on on kind of our side of the business, consumers generally can say one thing and oftentimes tend to do something a little bit different because I think the the convenience factor always comes into play. Um, The price factor always comes into play. Availability comes into play. So, I think while the desire is there and that desire is definitely growing, it's Are they able to easily and in a convenient way put that into action? So, um, and again, you know, when we talk about a lot of these stats, we're, we're making very broad general statements, right? So if you kind of dig into some of that data and look at the demographics, you might actually find that that number is higher when you're looking at younger consumers like Gen Z, who tend to be quite, you know, switched on, um, on top of a lot of these issues, quite active when it comes to kind of social issues or things that mean something to them. Maybe they're more likely to be the ones to exhibit those behaviors. But um, I, I, yes, people do feel this way. Does everyone feel this way? No. Do growing groups of consumers feel this way? Yes. And, you know, year over years, we have these kind of conversations. I know on the beauty side, we've been talking about these issues in particular for probably at least five or six years now. I mean, we've even gone so far as to create some trends that we did quite a few years ago, campaign capital being one of them, talking about, you know, brands instead of riding the line. Cause I think, and Johnny, I'm sure has an opinion on this too, but I think traditionally there's been this kind of. You know, you see it during like Oscar speeches and somebody takes the podium and uses their platform and everyone goes, oh, shut up, just be in the movies. That's really starting to change. Now people say, no, I want to know not just what your product is, but who you are as a company and who the people are behind it. Because if that doesn't make sense to me, then why am I going to put my dollars in that particular place? I'm going to put my dollars somewhere else that makes sense for me as an individual.
1: You mentioned Gen Z, and if at the moment it's younger consumers, well, they're not very big purchasers
0: of products, I guess, overall. Could I jump in? Could I just jump in with that? On, Gen Z, because yeah. I've done some work on Gen Zs in food and drink, and I was fascinated, you know, reading about how they're so right on and, and, and how, you know, it's really important that brands support their values. The data doesn't back it up. You know, when you look at what really drives their purchase for food and drink, it's taste, convenience, and value. And not only just by a little bit, but by a long, long way. So I think this is a generation that definitely likes to think of themselves as, as good people and, and right on. Um, but I think often this, this issue gets overblown because the media really jump on it. And when, when you really look at the hard, cold figures... And when someone's standing in a supermarket and they've got two or three seconds or, or less to decide what brand they want, are they thinking about those brand values? Maybe a tiny bit, but I think it is quite a small bit. I think much more they're thinking, actually, can I afford that? Um, you know, is, is, is that going to be tasty? And then there's a little bit about, you know, is, do I like the brand and, and ethics plays into that? But I think that brands need to be really, really careful that they don't think this is more important to consumers than it actually is
3: definitely especially with um, Gen Z or Gen Z um, because you know there's the income situation there right they don't have the disposable income so if you're talking about products outside of food and drink products that are a little bit more um, you know aspiring if you will you know they don't have the disposable income and then when you are talking about you know things that are more you know important such as food and beverage where you have to eat and you have to drink but Cost is a huge, you know, factor. Is it convenient? Is it sold somewhere that I, you know, pass by every day? Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with um, you, Johnny, there in terms of not putting more, you know, into something that that it's really not. Because you know, you got to talk about you know where the money is and putting and people putting their money where their mouth is.
0: Yeah. And I, th- I think brands are sort of forgetting what their role is. You know, and again, I'm talking from a food and drink perspective. Your role is to provide people with a, a really tasty product. That's really good value. That, that is your role. That's what you should be thinking about. And yes, there are some other elements. And, and Sarah's right that it's become more important to consumers over time, uh, the ethics of a company, but it's still very, very small. The amount of, uh, of influence like that that factor has in, in, in decisions.
2: And I don't know if maybe beauty's just a little bit different because
0: mm-hmm.
2: there is there are so many brands out there that are doing the exact same thing as another brand. And so if you're you know, if you've got two products sat on the shelf, they're identical in terms of what they're delivering on, what the price is, blah, blah, blah. But one of them um, you know, is owned by a woman or owned by a minority or, you know, or something like that, people might just go, Ooh, you know what? That's the one that I want to support. And so they're not making a sacrifice there in terms of, you know, performance or anything like that, but they're able to kind of say, you know, I'm just trying to be a little bit more conscious about those purchases and, and sort of implementing some of that. Um, and then going back to Gen Z or Gen Z. Uh, you know, it. hopefully they're doing a good job of educating their parents, right? Because the parents ultimately are the ones that are spending the money unless they're giving them this exorbitant allowance and sending them on their way, which is hopefully unlikely. But, um, you know, I, I, I do, I mean, I'm Gen X and, you know, we are the parents of the Gen Zs. Um, and I, I think just from the, the people that I know kind of in that group, we do learn a lot from the kids, you know, they really do kind of educate us on things and shout us out when we're, you know, making poor decisions, uh, not all the time, obviously, but but at least some of the time.
1: So straight off the bat, we're already talking about consumers that you've almost implied that that taking a stand at the moment is still a cherry on top. You must not forget the taste, the value, the convenience, it can be branding, but if you lose the rest, you're still unlikely to succeed?
2: Well, the day you're buying a product, you know, I mean, the product still has to deliver because um, that's where you're spending your money. So, yeah, you've still got to have the right, you know, know who your, con- your consumer is, give them what they want. And then, you know, the rest of it becomes a part of how you talk about it and how you position yourself or or what your, you know, your public persona looks like.
0: What I think is interesting what, about what you're saying, Sarah, is the differences between beauty and food and drink. Because I would say that beauty is always ahead of food and drink. Um, so so it's probably a bit ahead of the curve on this. And I would also say that beauty is more about lifestyle than um, the food and drink. So beauty maybe is maybe the closest cousin for food and drink is alcohol, say for beauty. And is it the fact that for lifestyle brands, this kind of uh, ethics is, uh, is more important than it is? maybe for for brands that are more kind of everyday?
2: I mean, it's possible because you hear a lot of this conversation going on in fashion as well, which again, same kind of thing. Um, Just this idea of you know, consciousness and sustainability and looking after the planet and looking after the people that are making the the products and all of that kind of a thing. So yeah, I mean, it's possible when someone, I mean, look, at the end of the day, beauty is not essential. You know, it's not essential for you to survive. If someone's going to chuck you out into the woods for six months to exist on your own, are you taking a lipstick with you? No, but you're going to make sure that you have food.
1: I know some people that would. Like my mum.
2: Okay, all right. Most right. I'm, so I'm totally happy. taking a lipstick with you. My
1: mum still oh, wears a lipstick under her face mask every time. Cl-
2: clearly talking to the wrong group. <laughs> <women. laughs>
1: yeah, so I will Ed find the chickpeas. A,
2: Ed would take a vat of hummus. I would. It's this idea of essential, essential items versus things that you are actively spending Thinking about purchasing, not because it's going to sustain your, you know, your body. Um, a big part of beauty is the advertising and all this stuff that we're talking about. Taking a stand and having a position, and and you know, how, how do you project yourself as a company? That's all part of that. And from a beauty perspective, that's what sucks people in, and the product has to then hold up its weight in order for the person to want to slap down those dollars. If that makes
0: You're sense. You're projecting an ethical lifestyle on you. And I think that's more totally. powerful in beauty yeah. than it would be in food and drink.
2: Yeah. And then people talk about it and they share pictures of it and it, and it goes and it goes and it goes in that, in that way.
1: Okay. So let's, I want to just shift to one more consumer stat, still focus on consumers before we get, to, this will link nicely into brands. Um, we asked UK consumers a question um, and half of them, which for me felt like a lot, but you'll tell me what you think. Half of them said they're prepared to boycott companies who behave unethically. Obviously, based on their opinion, the consumer opinion, they behave unethically. You know, really?
2: Half? Prepared to. That's the key. That's I think there's a the key in that stat. <laughs> 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 yeah absolutely it's they're they're prepared
3: to but are they doing yeah what what you're prepared to do versus what you actually do are two totally different things
0: there's a lot of mainstream <laughs> brands that are very very good value that you know their ethical practices have been questioned and yet they continue to do very good business so yeah i would i would, I would question the reality of that
1: okay so we're we're already getting trying to get this understanding of this virtue signaling versus um you know taking a stand for the right reasons, but I think now it's worth looking at brands consumers might might put out their their own you know virtues online to their friends, whatever it might be, but should brands do it that's let's start with that. Should they even bother or should they just leave this stuff aside? Is it worth
0: it? I think in most cases, it's not worth it. And I think Nike is almost the exception that proves the rule. And I think Nike were different because they were ahead of it. It's very rare for brands to be ahead of it. Um, I don't think it's it's worth it personally. I think maybe if you're a small brand, you can use it as a way to differentiate yourself. Um, but for me, business and politics um, have never been mixed for a very good reason. And I don't see any reason to, to change that that position.
3: It's totally worth it as long as whatever the cause is or whatever statement they're making aligns with what their original business is or their business practices. So, for example, you know, if you are, say, for instance, a um, a company that manufactures um, household cleaning products. And you've, you know, always, you know, the, the, the nature of your product is to be environmentally safe and sustainable and things of that nature. Um, you know, and then something happens, you know, things happen, happening every day, obviously, but if there was some big thing that happened where, you know, there was an oil spill or something like that. It would make sense for that company to make yeah, a statement because that yeah, statement is always true to what that brand has always been and has always yeah, done. It's
0: authentic and consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So, I
3: mean, there are cases that I see where it does work mm. if it aligns with the culture and and the brand of that company to begin with.
2: And I think that's that's the challenge. I think in some of what we have happening in the marketplace is people you know companies coming out of left field and standing up for something and you're like "Mm, hang on a minute Mm, (laughs) you know like um yeah yeah, because people just kind of look at that and go well where were you when this was happening or where that was happening and then that becomes the focus of the conversation but you know we have this great um sort of uh, campaign, this sort of nonprofit group that started sort of last year um, when the whole Black Lives Matter movement really, you know, took center stage. And all of these beauty brands were coming out with these, you know, social media posts and all of this messaging around the movement and showing their support, et cetera, et cetera. And this, this group of kind of industry insiders kind of got together and said, hold on a second. And they started calling brands out. So they used Instagram as their um, kind of platform of of choice. It's pull-up for change. And basically, they said, let's take some examples of these brands that are are sharing this messaging and kind of shine a spotlight on them and say, like, put your money where your mouth is. Show us your diversity statistics. Show us the demographic breakdown of your C-suite. And a lot of companies delivered And they gave them that information and said, share it publicly. We want people to know where we are today because we're we're willing to make a commitment to change. And you know, a year later, or however far on we are from when that initially started, brands are still providing that information and saying, Hey, we made this commitment. We're gonna keep measuring ourselves and showing you what we're doing. So I think I guess basically what I'm saying is there's a possibility that you can sort of put a stake in the ground if it's not something that you've had a position on before and use it as a way to kind of pivot and say, Hey, we know we haven't always done the right thing, but today, like the change starts today. trying now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you're kind of open and honest, I think Johnny already said, if you do it on authentic way and, you know, Adia talked about this too, if it's part of your kind of DNA and it really does go sort of company wide or across your whole organization, then... It's okay to kind of change tack if it if it makes sense and if it's the right thing to do.
0: Trouble is you're setting yourself up for trouble. So say if you take Brewdog as an example and they've done some really good things in terms of sustainability and then suddenly um they were called out on Twitter as as, as not being a, a, a an employer that you know people really wanted to work for. So you you are really kind of setting yourself up and and that's the issue I have with it. Um so I, th- I think you almost mm. can't win.
2: I mean, you'd like to think that those call-outs would be a catalyst for change, but I guess in not all...
0: Yeah, and, they, and they've been, you know, they reacted in the right way. They've been very humble and, and been very open to change. But mm. even so, you know, the damage is, is is done to an extent.
1: Similar to the Gillette one I mentioned at the beginning, they were, they were um, challenged on the price of... Women's razor blades, pink tax after the Gillette, mm-hmm. yeah, and that, that was a big topic that came out of that one, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because you know we we've, we've been talking about this idea of this pink tax for years. And we started to see all of these new brands coming into the shaving space that were all direct-to-consumer, great pricing, didn't matter what your gender was or how you identified. If you needed a razor, you could get it at this great price. And then you know, you still had these big brands that have been out there sort of dominating the space for, for eons doing the exact opposite. And people are going to say something about it, especially when there is an alternative out there that, that's doing better. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm going to throw a question to Adia, because we're getting into that topic of should we bother if you're a company, I'm going to (laughs) ask you directly, should we, should we bother? And you, you're in a position where you say we should, and we are, but should, should they bother?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, Mintel, obviously, as a global leader in the market uh, research insights um, category, you know, we, um, you know. Service all of these various brands, right? And we, uh, you know, specialize in giving them the best information in order to make their business decisions. So at the, in the same case, we we're, almost, we were almost in the same boat as them as well. Even though we're a global company, you know, with over 48 nationalities speaking over 37 different languages, there was definitely an issue within our organization in terms of truly being diverse not just racially ethnically you know gender wise orientation you know disability and all of these various dimensions of diversity as well as you know we had to look at ourselves in terms of being equitable and inclusive and and you know really providing a culture of belonging at our own organization and so that really required us to you know begin to look inward and when we i mean when when George Floyd was murdered in the US and I'm I'm US based and I'm actually based in Chicago so um you know my city went up in flames you know for lack of a better phrase um uh, right before our eyes and that's where our US headquarters um are located. And so, Mintel has always practiced the notion of our people being our largest asset and really being our brand. I mean, you guys are our brand. You're the ones who write the content and, and give the, you know, the insight to our clients. And so, that was kind of where we went first. How are our people doing? Okay. So, this is happening in Chicago. This is our, our global, you know, our, our U.S. or America's base headquarters, you know, what is happening with our employees, what is happening with our people. And that was kind of what catapulted the decision for Mintel to look inward and to really begin to design and strategize a diversity, equity and inclusion program. So it wasn't about branding per se or you know about us selling anything it was really about these are our people how do we protect them how do we now begin to create safe spaces now that we understand that this is what's been going on in their lives all of this time and, and how do we do that how do we
1: do that genuinely and authentically um, and I, that you're saying how you prevent it from just being Mintel's tick box on yeah. diversity? Thumbs up. We've got Adia. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs>
0: the, 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 the critical distinction is between actually driving that change organizationally and using it as a branding tool. Mm. And um, and I know Adia agrees with this. That mm. you know, it's when you use it for branding, and often in a way that that is virtue signalling, um, and you use it. You know, you, you you certainly appear as a company to be more interested in telling people how great you are, rather than actually driving change. That, that's that's the issue.
3: And information is so readily available now. I mean, you know, you mentioned earlier mm. that you know you can go on Twitter, and an employee can actually mm. go out and put out a tweet, or you know, you can find out who the CEOs or CFOs are yeah, of organizations. Yeah, there's no hiding. On, you know, go back yeah. through their Instagram <laughs> yeah. and see all of that. Yeah. And so, you
1: know what they've said in the past, and they've come very out. Good on mm, the yeah. internet.
2: You can find anything. Yeah. That's it. You know the, the old tweets mm. and. Nothing disappears. Yeah. They're, they're yeah.
3: little you researchers on their own, right? And so yeah. as a research yeah. company, we definitely had to make sure that like the change started within us and us looking inward and seeing the opportunities for growth. Um, but back to your, your direct question though, Ed, um, in terms of how to make sure we're not a tick box, right? That's actually part of my job um, because when I took the job, believe you me, even my own social network when I announced, you know, I had accepted the position, you know, they were already calling me a tick box. And these are my friends. <laughs> these are people <laughs> that I know. Or, or my
2: friends. And so
3: instead of, you know, running away from that, you know, I embrace that as, you know, that could be. And there probably are a lot of organizations out here that are ticking the box. And so that has to be part of my job to keep our organization accountable. It's my job and the job of people that are in, you know, the diversity suite, um, you know, whether they be at C level or their manager, director, associate level, what have you to keep that organization accountable for what they say. If you've made this grand statement like Black Lives Matter or what have you. Okay. So now what are we doing three months, six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years later that shows within our organization, Black Lives Matter.
2: And that's it. Ability, right? Who's keeping tabs on these companies, you know, to make sure that they're not just doing it in like a performative way or as a, as a branding stunt or something like that. I think it's the, again, going back to the authenticity and, you know, not doing, in a, in a, doing it in a way where you're, you know, you're so self-righteous because look at me, I, I've got, uh, you know, I have an opinion and, and aren't I important? It's not about that. You know, it's really, it's really not about being pretty or or whatever. What's interesting is, though, there are companies that are beginning
3: to hold each other accountable. So, like, supplier diversity is, like, a huge thing now. I mean, it's been going on, obviously, since, at least in the U.S., since the 1950s. However, it's there's a resurgent now. So, we have clients that are, you know sending surveys and questionnaires that we have to fill out in terms of what our supplier diversity looks like, and then what our overall diversity programs look like. So there's definitely, I think we're going to see an uptick in terms of companies and brands that may be in the same categories or competing with each other, having the ability to kind of keep each other accountable for the things that they
1: say that they're doing you know, in, in that space. On that, and I'm going to throw this at Johnny because I think he'll have a really great opinion on this. At what point do you say to a supplier or a client, you know, we're an agency, that their morals and values don't suit you as a company? Should we as companies be saying we don't want you? Or actually, is there a line? Should you only be looking in your own, looking in? um, What do you think? Bit of a question. Curveball for you.
0: What a question. Um Yeah. I, I think that's dangerous. I mean, yes, you want to have your own values, but also I think you want to be tolerant of other people's values. Um, I think at the moment, there's a, a lot of intolerance and there's a lot of you um, with companies that are you know, being more woke that there is you know, a one fits all set of values and that there isn't. You know, if you look at, at Brexit, for example, that, that divided nation. is actually a 50-50 split. If you look at the, the Trump versus Biden vote, that's a, virtually a 50-50 split. So I think it's it's important to to have values and know who you are. Um, but I think it's really dangerous if you start to then say, you know, we're not going to deal with companies just because they don't agree with, with our values because, you know, that values, there is not an objective set of values in the world.
1: Okay. So... From the from that that place, have we got some fabulous success stories where they've taken a stand? Even if it's one or two that you can think of, where they've taken a stand, and we've mentioned um, Nike, and you're welcome to talk more about it. But um, and it it's come up Trumps commercially, and it was the right move for that organisation. It fit. It, it, it really were you know made a lovely circle around their image that they already had.
2: I mean, I I can give you. I don't. I won't name anyone specifically, but I think for beauty, we've seen a real shift in um, some of what has been going on in the retail space. So, you know, one of the things that we've seen in the last few years is just this explosion of these independent brands and these 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 you know small owned brands, and they've really kind of taken over the beauty space. And so, one of the things that they have done from the very beginning and done really well is a personality and really showcase the people behind the brand and who they are and what they stand for and their values and really use that to exemplify who they are as a brand. Um, And there's so many of them. That's why I, I, I'm not going to throw out any names because there are so many examples of it, but they've they've taken the, the category by storm. And a big part of that, and just you know we've got this in the data, but just from conversations I've had as well, a big part of their success is the fact that they do have this identity, and it's about more than just the product. Um, And then following on from that, in response to a lot of the shifts that we've seen over the last year or so related to diversity and representation, et cetera, some of the big beauty retailers have said, we're pledging to allocate a certain percentage of our shelf space to woman-owned brands, Black-owned brands, minority, whatever it might be, um, and really starting to make a concerted effort to make sure that their product assortment matches with the product assortment that the shopper wants to see. And that's been generating a lot of conversation and a lot of really great sort of positive kind of PR for um, a lot of these, these brands and retailers. So it's been, it's been nice to watch.
1: We've got a bit of a circle though, right? By what you're saying, because at the beginning we talked about how do consumers even care and really they say they do, but whether it really matters on the ground and yet, the brands are still doing it.
2: Um, I did, yes, but upfront I did mention this idea of is it accessible and convenient for people to get their hands on, especially from a beauty perspective. I don't, you know, people aren't going to order something online and wait six weeks for it to show up because it's it's something that they can't get readily. So that's why when you see these big retailers making those shifts. And becoming, you know, becoming a, a, a bigger part of that conversation and making these brands and products accessible to people, I think that just broadens the, the the whole scope of that 60 whatever percent that says that they would like to buy from brands that align with their values. It make that makes it easier for them to actually act on that. You know, this I'm prepared to crowd, <laughs> right? Can actually yeah. enact on what it is that they're saying, if that stuff is there for them and they can get it. I just want to ask what,
1: what's next? How far does this go? Um, and what, what are we expecting to see over the next few years? Uh, who wants to go first? Adia, do you want to kick us off and then, and then our beauty and food guys?
3: Um, I think we're going to definitely see more brands decide to take a stand or actively not decide to take a stand um, based on, you know, internal intelligence that they have, you know, on how it could affect positively or negatively their business. I think that we're going to just see a lot more, we're going to see a lot less um, kind of impulse reaction to things that happen in the world because I think brands are really going to think about it a lot more. So whether they decide to take a stand and say, you know, I'm against this or I'm for this, or whether they decide to be quiet and say nothing, I think that we're going to see a lot less reactiveness and more, you know, perhaps proactiveness or or absolutely nothing at all, but we're definitely going to see a lot less people just jumping on the bandwagon. That's what I think.
0: Yeah. I'll jump in there as well. Because, uh, I, I I hope that Ariette's right because I think we've seen, yeah, a lot of um panic for want of a better word. Um but I think that, you know, the fact that um you know, businesses have been made to think about this. Um, is good, and it will, you know, force certainly more focus on sustainability from companies. More, more deep focus on sustainability, which which would be really, really good. But yeah, I, I I would hope, from a commercial perspective, that rather than just react, companies will really take the time to understand their audience as much as they understand themselves and align their views to towards that audience. Rather than just making a lot of assumptions about our audience,
2: yeah, and I would echo a lot of that. I think that the most important thing, whether you're a huge brand or a tiny brand, is who's your consumer. You know, knowing the demographics of your consumer, what part of the world they're in, what age they are, what they're educated, you know, all of that. um, Really understanding what they react to and what they don't react to is a big part of it because you could have this sort of knee-jerk reaction to some big issue that's going on in the world and then ultimately alienate 85% of your consumer base because you haven't really thought about who those people are and where they live. Um, So hopefully, you know, from my perspective within the beauty space, I think we will continue to see more of this idea of, of brands with a purpose. Now, whether that is to give back to the local community support the environment, um, you know, focus on diversity, inclusivity, you know, gender, represent- whatever it might be, we're continuing to see more and more of that happening, but it's happening in a more thoughtful way. And people are, are kind of taking the time to say, okay, this is something that we think is really important, but let's take a little bit of time to figure out the right way to sort of get in there and go after it, or if it's even the right thing to
0: do. Also issues like sustainability are clearly very, very important. You know it's, it's, I know that's a political issue, but it is hard to argue that so that's not important. But there are other things like um, political beliefs that I think are, are less important and and people are less likely to agree on. Um, so I would like to see businesses focusing more on the um, the eco stuff and less on the on the political stuff.
1: My dad has a very, uh, a phrase that he always loves to say. And he says, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Um, and being the idea that, and, in, and I'm going to use another phrase, that you are what you eat, or in this case, you need to be what you eat. Um, and I think that, that, that I, think I felt like two nice little phrases sum this up a little bit, that if you're going to take a stand and not going to be caught virtue signaling, you need to um, really look into yourself before you do it. And that seems to be the big the big conclusion here. and sometimes it's the right move because actually commercially it could work out very well for you but you have to do that internal analysis thank you very much adia sarah and johnny this has been really interesting it could have gone in many directions because i've had many conversations with you guys before um But we've got to go close there. So to everyone else, thank you very much for listening. Um, As you always do, please subscribe and rate and review and listen to these guys again and again um, on all the platforms that you get your podcasts from. Um, So... You know, please come back next time, or check on mintel dot com for some of our articles and our blogs. Check us out on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. we we're on the socials, and you see all the amazing webinars that our guys are doing as well. Many thanks for listening.